You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the place to be. As I speak, uh, there is some kind of a basket going down the side of the building, uh, which I don't think has got anything to do with what we're doing. But anyway, they're cleaning the, they're cleaning the place. It's fine. That's what you have to do from time to time. Today, uh, Prime Minister's questions. Uh, we'll see Rishi Sunak going up against Sakir Starmer for the first time uh, since the Boris Johnson debacle, uh, since the uh, five-hour debate in Parliament about whether to take away somebody's past as if they're all at boarding school. It's all a bit unseemly. Luckily, we've got John Rental here this morning from The Independent to talk us through exactly what's been going on in Westminster, because quite often you think that there isn't actually any kind of crisis going on uh, and all they've got to do is talk amongst themselves about who they like and who they don't like. It's all a bit bizarre, but we've got Keir Starmer to talk about. Prime Minister's questions is coming up a little bit later on today. And, of course, uh, we want to know exactly what the future holds for Rishi Sunak. Has he done away with Boris Johnson, who now apparently wants to have a truce with him, uh, having realised that he doesn't have an awful lot of support amongst the parliamentary party? There are still some people in the Conservative Party more widely who would like to see Boris making some kind of comeback, uh, but they're very, very few and very, very far between. We're also going to talk about a new scam that's going on out there, and I don't know whether you you've become a victim of it, but it's where uh, people on scooters are riding into the fronts of cars and claiming uh, all sorts of damages from them. Because we know if you do a car insurance scam, you're more than likely to get it paid out. Because before we had the whiplash injury brigade, uh, as soon as you put a claim in, the insurance company, rather than investigate it, just pays you out, especially if it's only a couple of uh, thousand pounds. Jerome Starkey joins us. He's defence editor of The Sun. Uh, He's been talking uh, in an expert way about what's going on with this missing submarine and what the likelihood is of it being found before they all run out of air. We're going to talk about the compensation bill uh, that we've all been paying out. £42.2 million has been paid out in compensation to illegal migrants who have apparently been illegally detained. Some of them have won money because we didn't deport them quickly enough. Unbelievable. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, also, we'll be talking to uh, a master diver about the submarine situation. Peter Cardwell is here. Annabelle Denham is here. She's going to talk about the mortgage problem and why the economy is going down the gurgler faster than you can say interest rates. And also Alex Salmon, former First Minister of Scotland, joins us. He's not very keen on uh, Sir Keir Starmer's plan for energy and forming an energy company in Scotland because he wants to put 50,000 people out of work. So much to do, so much to go, and so many places to see over the course of the next three hours. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us get it on.
Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We haven't even mentioned people identifying as cats, but we did a bit of that yesterday, so I'm not going to do any more uh, unless everybody really, really wants to talk about it. But apparently Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, is going to investigate the school in Rye down in Sussex, which apparently is the offending place where people have been told that they can uh, basically be anything they want to be as long as they come into school every day. John Rental is here. Very good morning I to you, John. I thought you were going to say Gillian Keegan identifies as a cat. Well, she might do. Because, uh, you know, but she, she at the moment... She's quite cat-like. In do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's all the rage. Piers Morgan was doing it last night, identifying as a cat, <laughs> and saying that, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't a cat, but, you know, anybody who wanted to see him as a cat would be absolutely welcome to do so. Um... The gender madness thing is is crazy, and I, I'm not even going to get into it with you, but we can if you want later on. Yeah, but absolutely, what not. I'd love to do is talk to you about the last sort of few days of, of madness in Parliament, because yeah. that's your patch, and it's all been a bit odd, isn't it? Well, I had to listen to an awful lot of sanctimonious uh, speeches Twaddle. Uh, on Monday of uh, people saying what we what we know they think about uh, Boris Johnson. But I mean, the big story in politics is uh, is the economy and and the way it seems to be turning against. Uh, against Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did think all that Boris Johnson stuff was terribly self-indulgent. It really was. MPs just love talking about themselves. They do. Um, and it was and, all a bit pompous, wasn't it? And, you know, people out there are are actually feeling the squeeze and suffering. Yeah. I mean, uh, most they, of our viewers and most of our listeners, that. even those who were on the side of Boris Johnson and were beginning to sort of waver, just said, you know, why? Why do you need to have five hours of debate <laughs> well, about taking a guy's pass off him? Well, I think but the only significant thing about that was, I thought, the number of Conservative MPs who actually turned up and voted to approve the, uh, the, the report. Yeah. Um, and that, in, 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 in a surprising number of cases, that was, was MPs who weren't intending to, to, to vote. They, mm. they were going to follow uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, brave example and abstain. Yes. But actually they consulted their local associations and found that the support for, for Boris Johnson just wasn't there. And mm. actually their local associations mm. wanted them to uphold the... Uh, so, so their reasoning the, the for not so their reasoning for not turning up was not wishing to be seen as anti-Boris, but yeah. in fact they then discovered that being anti-Boris wasn't a big problem. Well, exactly, and actually that's what their associations wanted them to do. They yeah. wanted them to, to to uphold the rules of Parliament, um, which which is a, an interesting uh, development and a, uh, a a death knell to uh, to Boris. Boris's hopes yeah. of coming back. I think. Well, I thought it was interesting that he went from suddenly, um, you know, ordering a, a massive revolt against this dreadful treatment that he had suffered uh, under the yoke of, uh, to suddenly <laughs> going, actually, uh, don't worry about that. Yeah, um, don't. He, just well, don't he told us he, he told his supporters we don't want not to, go, to vote. Yeah, we don't want to go to war. And then by the the day after the vote, yeah. uh, he was calling for a truce. Yeah, and absolutely, I, absolutely. I put that to a Tory MP yesterday. Uh, who was down on uh, College Green with us, and uh, he said, well, what do you mean a truce? He said, there's no truce required. There is, there's no war. No, there's no... Um, the way, Boris, how many divisions right. has Boris Boris Johnson? had sort of started some, some, some uh, rebel rabble-rousing, and then it yeah. sort of hadn't gone anywhere. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, I mean, ultimately, the, the, the problem for, for Boris Johnson is that he doesn't actually represent a coherent um, point of view in the, in the Conservative Party. Right. I mean, if, if, you want to, if you want to cause trouble in the Conservative Party, you can be a tax cutter and a small stater... Mm. Uh, or you can be anti-immigration, uh, but Boris Johnson isn't any of that. Well, I mean, I remember two years ago calling for him to resign on the basis that he wasn't conservative enough. Yeah. He wasn't doing enough <laughs> for the Conservative Party. You know, immigration was 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 completely out of control. Even yes. then, uh, he was putting taxes up or allowing Rishi Sunak to put taxes up. He was not solving uh, the various different economic crises that we were that we no. sort of experienced even then. And he was doing nothing which could be described as conservative policy. Absolutely. No, I, I once wrote that he was the most left-wing yeah. conservative. Prime Minister ever, mm. uh, and 
I stand by that. I mean, I think he's more left wing than Tony Blair. He was inconsistent in all sorts of ways. Yeah, absolutely. He was into animal rights and all that that, that sort of stuff as well, which which Tony Blair never was. And then we've had the distraction, of course, of the honours list, which is still kind of bubbling about thanks to that video that was released by the Daily Mirror of those characters, two of whom are now on the honours list. And I don't know whether that is going to go away or whether nobody, nobody cares about that anymore. But I think people are generally now... You know, if you know, if, if politicians are all about what their legacy is, yes. Boris Johnson, I'm sorry to say, is going to disappear off into the sort of stage left as a bit of a clown figure, isn't he? Well, it's terrible because I mean, the only which thing is he'll, kind of a shame for the, him. the only thing he'll be remembered for is uh, being kicked out as prime minister for lying to Parliament. Um, I mean, it's not as simple as that, mm. but I mean, those are the that's the only story yeah. that people are going to remember. Because you can't I mean, really they might remember. On, you can't really even cling on to what he got Brexit done because well, he kind of didn't. Well, they might remember that he got Brexit done, but you know that's not very popular at the moment. No. So, yeah, because he didn't really get it done. He got it done as a, sort of a bit. Well, he didn't get it done in a very good way. He got it done more than anybody else had got it done, but it's still not <laughs> well, really done. Well, we are not members of the EU now, Mike. No. So he did get that. He did get yeah. that done. And right. He deserves some credit for no, that. No, I, I think uh, so. But, but actually, I don't think he'll be given any credit because because history will be written no. written by, by said, Remainers. People said to me yesterday. Well, I don't know about that. People said to me yesterday. Uh, Rishi Sunak also kind of had an opportunity. To to bury Boris Johnson yesterday yeah. uh, or the day before, if had he shown up and voted with the parliamentary committee, yes. but he didn't do that. So, what does that tell you about Rishi Sunak? Well, that he's uh, that, that I think he Weak. was he was trying. No, I think he was trying not to stoke the uh, the civil war. But what was interesting, I thought, was the number of MPs who who did vote to endorse the the report, knowing that that wouldn't actually mm. make the civil war any worse because Boris Johnson's supporters are so few. Right. But he may come back. I'm still not giving no. up on him altogether. I think he will, but he'll be after the next election. No, no, I don't think so. Well, we can have a bet on it if you like. <laughs> I know you're not beat. a betting man, but no, I think I think there's. I think he's not. You know, Boris Johnson will never go away quietly. That will never be the end of him at all. Well, he'll write, However, he'll he'll, he'll write uh, health tips for the uh, for the Daily Mail. Every, that was a very odd week. first column, wasn't it? <laughs> Were there any well, secret messages in there that I missed? Well, there was. There was. There was that thing about the lean and hungry look on, yeah. uh, of, of Cassius. Mm. Uh, which was obviously a, a, a reference to uh, to Rishi Sunak, but no, I thought uh, I thought David Aronovich had actually written about the uh, the, the, the fat jab uh, more interestingly mm. than the previous week. I don't read David Aronovich. I never did. Oh well, I'm afraid I don't there find him particularly endearing. But there we are. That's another story. So what what happens now? Uh, we've got Keir Starmer once again making a fool of himself because every time he opens his mouth, he <laughs> looks like a much worse prime ministerial candidate than if he just keeps it shut. I don't think um, that's fair. At I think all. it is fair. I saw you the other day on another show. I think it was Vanessa Feltz no. talking about how, you know, you were so proud of him now because he's sounding more and more like Tony Blair. <laughs> and in fact, he's even talking to Tony Blair, which is obviously why he's now become a much more smart politician. Yes. Is he actually talking to Tony Blair? Or yes, is that just, I, I believe he, he You believe does, so or do you know so? Uh, I, don't, I, um, I don't want to go into, into detail. But you I do know that. I, I believe, so that's I, I believe a, so they that's do talk. An official... but, but the question is how much mm. they talk and yeah. how much... Uh, cooperation there is between them, how much coordination. For mm. example, you know, I mean, the Tony Blair Institute published some some interesting green papers about the about the green transition. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on, on Monday, just as Keir Starmer delivered that speech, and I don't know if right. that was done on on purpose. But, but the problem uh, for Keir looked, Starmer is that like he's, he's delivered um, a speech based upon something that he said 
some weeks before, which he's already watering down. So he's already yes. halfway through the flip-flop <laughs> while making the speech. It's very, very odd timing, that. Yes, yeah. you're right. That, he's in the middle of a U-turn on, on, the, on the £28 billion a yeah. year borrowing. Because he wants to get rid of 100,000 jobs and replace them with 40,000 jobs, by, the, by, my, by my reckoning. <laughs> I'm, with sure, my I'm sure that's not his reckoning. Well, it's, there are 100,000 people employed by the oil and gas business in the North Sea. Um, yes, and he wants he's, to transition. He wants to, to transition to that green, to employing fifty thousand no, with with forty to fifty thousand jobs, thereby losing but, but, fifty thousand. Well, of no, those but creating jobs. creating other jobs. No, uh, as he well, create, No, a, he said that you'll create fifty thousand jobs while losing a hundred thousand. Well, I don't think he would accept that, but I think you have put your finger on an important point, which yeah. is that that. that an awful lot of Labour's plans are very, very vague and general. Mm. Uh, and they're predicated on this assumption that somehow, you know, investing to transition to a net zero economy is going to create lots of jobs, mm. whereas that's not necessarily Well, true. Boris Johnson tried that one, didn't he? He said that we would be creating a huge hub of um, green energy somewhere near well, Grimsby. Yeah. And I think they're still waiting somewhere well, no, so, near Grimsby. So far, we seem to be creating... They're all waiting on the other side of the Humber Bridge. We're creating jobs in Malaysia where they right. make the wind turbines. Yeah. That we then um, tow out to sea and, uh, and and put up in the North Sea. Yes, exactly. So we must right. we must have some jobs in this country, but I mean some 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 of the other specialist jobs, mm. the high the really highly skilled engineering jobs, yeah. seem to be um, seem well. To nobody be in the Far East. well nobody has yet proven the, the the case that you can create a green economy with all these new jobs which are going to come along because the jobs haven't come along. No. What we do know is that if you're going to destroy the oil and gas business and the fossil fuel business, you are going to lose an awful lot of jobs well, and, and also, an awful lot of revenue. But also, uh, what's, what's significant about that is that given that we are going to go, go on needing oil and gas for some time to come, if, if you shut down the North Sea, you are then going to be importing uh, from yeah. from other countries, and that that seems an unsustainable position to me. And I'm well, it totally I'm surprised is. that Keir Starmer yeah. didn't didn't complete that bit of the U-turn on Monday. Yeah, exactly right. And also, as we know from the Sun's poll yesterday, people are not as keen on net zero as all the politicians seem to think they are, no. because it's all very well saying to people, "Would you like to save the planet?" Everybody goes, "Oh yes, please, we'd love yeah. to save the planet." <laughs> you go, "Would you like to give us twenty thousand quid of tax <laughs> to save the planet?" Not really. No, no thanks. Uh, but which is why Keir Starmer's speech contained this uh, this. This assertion that green energy would be cheaper, yeah. uh, and that it, it would save um, fourteen hundred pounds. And off, if it was off, cheaper, off bill, but they keep which telling is, us, which I, I would, you know, I just they keep don't telling us. If Dale Vince was on with Ian Collins yesterday, and he's on this show, these shows here quite a lot. He's always saying renewables are cheaper. Well, why do they not appear to be cheaper on the bill that we get every single well, month? Then? Well, you well, know. because well, because we haven't transitioned enough right. would be the, uh, the the argument. But it's not. But it, it it is true that wind wind and solar power at the moment are cheaper than gas. Mm. But, uh, you've but still, they don't you've provide. Still got, but they don't the provide rest. enough energy. That's no, the problem. Exactly, and we're going to and we're going to need uh, we're going to need an awful lot more if we're going mean, to have electric like saying, vehicles. And that's like saying it's cheaper heating. to have a, a scooter than to drive a Maserati. You know, yes, it is cheaper, yeah. but you can't really go anywhere in a bad weather because it doesn't have a, a roof well, uh, or even sides or a door. <laughs> <laughs> or a boot, or an engine. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, John Rental is here uh, talking about uh, Keir Starmer. Starmer Chameleon, as we're rather cleverly calling him there. He still hasn't got it, has he? But what's he going to say today at Prime Minister's Questions? Presumably, he's going to lambast Rishi Sunak uh, for, for lording it over a party which doesn't actually know who's in charge of it and where it's going next. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. John Rental is here with us. Uh, we've just been talking about the honours list there. Uh, Labour are now apparently planning to flood the House of Lords with peers, which doesn't sound very Keir Starmer-like because he had another idea that but we didn't know he had before. 
Well, he's ditched. He's ditched another uh, promise, um, which is to abolish the House of Lords and right. replace it with uh, an elected second chamber. St- uh, stupid idea, because it would just tie up um, the uh, Labour government in legislative knots. Mm. Because I mean, that's, that is incredibly difficult. Right. Uh, and so why does he say these things? So is he's just following... to sort of curry favour with the, the the rank and file or something. I suppose so, and also it doesn't cost any money, and it allows Gordon Brown to to spend a lot of time uh, compiling some. Big, big report on the future right. of democracy. Yes, um, which which uh, Keir Starmer can now ignore. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it's a sensible thing, you know, for a new Labour government to to, to pile in a load of uh, of new peers so that they can try and get some of their business through. I mean, they can't create a majority in the yeah. House of Lords. That would be that would be too. But much. the problem but, with the House of Lords is it's got too many Lib Dems in it, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not far so much... too many Lib Dems and, and crossbenchers and yeah. independents and all. I mean, it hasn't got it. too many Tories um, in it, has it? It's got a lot. It's got it's got a lot because mm. uh, because the Conservatives have been in government. For I mean, so it's basically long. got too many people. Period, hasn't it? Well, yes. Of course. I mean, should they not? I mean, it would it make? It shouldn't be there. But would but it not make more sense if, if Keir Starmer actually said, "I tell you what, we're going to suggest is we're going to suggest a freeze on sending people to the House of Lords." Yeah, but he, um, he can do a freeze after he's after he's packed it with some with some Labour people yeah, first, right? So is he going to put Gordon Brown in there? <laughs> I don't. Think I presume so. if he's talking to Tony Blair, Tony Blair's saying, "Whatever you do, don't give Gordon Brown a peerage." <laughs> you know, we still don't talk to each other. I don't think they still think, don't talk to each other, do they? T- Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, yeah. yes, they do. But I mean, they you know, it's only quite, under it's specific quite, circumstances. It's, it's quite formal. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, none of those new Labour people want peerages. Uh, you know, Alistair Campbell, um, Alan Melbourne, Tony Blair. Well, Alistair Campbell shouldn't get one. Well, of course he should. Why? Um, because he's a, he's a very talented politician. No, he's not. But, he's a ghastly um, individual <laughs> who turns on people in a horrible anyway, way, who bullies people and has always bullied people, and is, frankly speaking, a man uh, who should have to answer for what he did during the Iraq war. Yeah, which was... Uh, which, which was to sex up a document. Tell the truth to sex up a document. We've had this argument before. Yeah, no, but it's not an argument. You're not right. No, it's not an argument. It's the situation which is which is the real world in which you don't live because you love Tony Blair so much and you think everybody associated with him. Uh, should be given some kind of honour. I think Alistair Campbell is an extremely talented individual. No, I think he's extremely should have, flawed. Should have, should have been an MP. No, he's an extremely flawed individual. If he wants to stand for election, then let him do it. But what he shouldn't do is grandstand, which is what he does do, bully people on television, which you know he used to do when he was in number 10. No, because no I, know I don't. He's, well, I know he used I to do, do it because I've heard him doing it. No. Because I've heard him ringing people up and I've heard him saying things to them uh, that were, quite frankly, absolutely unforgivable. As a, as a as a public civil servant, I have no. Well, I, I can give no you absolute chapter and verse on that, if and he, I can he, name you several people who have been to, in receipt he, of those calls. He stood up to Adam Bolton on television once. Which he was, did once uh, which do was that. But, most entertaining. But that was after he was out of Downing Street. When he was in Downing Street, he used to phone up the BBC on a regular basis and berate them for not leading with well, stories that he'd given them. You mean he, he did used his to job. also? He, no, that's not his job to bully people. Not his job to bully people. He he rang several people that I personally. He rang several people that I personally know on newspapers and threatened to get them sacked if they didn't do what he said particularly okay. over Lord Mandelson and a particular story in Japan and I know that for a fact well I don't so, well I'm telling um, you it's true well I so you can impugn me and my uh, veracity if you wish but you'd be wrong to do so. And I think to defend Alistair Campbell doesn't do you any favours, seriously. Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to defend him. All right, well, I hope very, he doesn't end up in the House man. of Lords because I might have to start publishing some of the stuff I know about him. Right, OK, well, he's not going to the House of Lords because he doesn't want to, so... Well, that's good. Go. Excellent. He can carry on writing for the <laughs> European and making a nuisance of himself elsewhere. Anyway, so, um, what's expected today at PMQs? What's the line Well, I the assume, Labour Party? Well, I assume Keir Starmer won't... won't 
bore on about uh, Boris Johnson and we'll ask uh, serious questions about the economy um, because that is the, that's the government's weak spot. The problem uh, that Keir Starmer has with that is that I don't think a Labour government would be doing anything different from well, yeah, what let's, uh, let's Jeremy say, Hunt yeah, and, exactly. and, let's, and Richard Let's say that uh, Keir Starmer was in charge and Rachel Rees was his Chancellor. Yeah. Um, what would they be telling the Bank of England? They couldn't tell them anything because they're independent, right? Yeah, absolutely. They'd be doing... I mean, what they ought to be saying is, uh, you know, congratulations, uh, Rishi and, and, and Jeremy, for doing the right thing in the, in the national interest. Mm. Uh, and we sh- we wish you we wish you all the best and hope that it uh, hope that it produces the results uh, in in good time. Yeah. But uh, they won't. They, he won't say that. No, because I mean it's a bit unfair, I suppose, to blame the rise in interest rates on Rishi Sunak because well, it's not. Rishi Sunak's trying to clear up the mess left by Liz Truss. Yeah, but the Liz um, Trust mess was really overblown. I mean, she was literally there for a couple of minutes, and, and you know the <laughs> idea that she somehow wrecked the economy there in those weeks. in those minutes. Is well, she, ridiculous. Well, she did a bit of damage, but uh, not really. So, I mean, there's been more losses on the guilt front on on, on, on the interest rates front uh, yeah. since she left no, I think than, the, than while she was there. The fundamental problems of the economy are, are, are go 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 far deeper than that. Yeah, and but they, but they are primarily because um, because we spent so much money during the coronavirus. Many of them are down to lockdown, and, aren't and they? on and and on energy most price of the, support. Most of the reason for the sluggish economy is lockdown. Well, part, simple. Well, I, I'm, Isn't it? I'm I'm not a qualified economist. So I don't it know about most, but I think, that is, I think that is a very significant factor. Yes. Uh, and it's, it is obvious that if you borrow £400 billion that you mm. haven't got, that's going to have consequences for, even some, now, for some time to come. Even now, I was listening to Mel Stride the other day on the Today programme talking about how much money the government is still giving out to people yes. uh, to take care of them because they haven't got enough money. And one of the payments that's going out is a payment of something like £900 to 8 million people. Yes. And you kind of go, sorry, how are you getting that from? These are astonishing this amounts. and actually incredible people, amounts of money. But, but people don't, people, uh, an awful lot of people don't even notice it because it comes straight off their, uh, right. their energy bills. Yeah. But um, I mean, I mean people aren't benefits it's, it's the fact that it's about seven billion pay. quid, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a, by it's, my it's still, by, by it's still my huge abacus. amounts. I mean, energy prices are coming down now, so it's so it's diminishing. But, mm. it, but it is still a, a very significant. But it, but I mean, what's Labour Party policy on that? Would they be also helping people out if they said they couldn't afford things? I mean, we're now getting the ludicrous situation where people are saying, "Oh, I can't afford to pay my mortgage. What's the government going to do about it?" Yeah. Well, nothing actually, and <laughs> neither should they do anything about it because you bought a house, and if you're going to lose the house because you bought a house you can't any longer afford, then sell it. Well, if it was leader of the opposition's questions, then Rishi Sunak could ask uh, Keir Starmer. Precisely, precisely that, yeah. and I think uh, Kirsten would would struggle to reply because I mean, it's the liberal. The liberal Democrats have called for um, mortgage, uh, yeah. a, a mortgage. Uh, well, nobody support, cares what they support. think. Well, uh, except it's it's clever politics because they're because they're they're trying to fight the Tories in a lot of. Uh, uh, of southern seats yeah. where where people do have big yes, more, but the big trouble is when and, people and think that that's, when deal. people think that's a good idea, they only think that until you explain to them that basically what's going to happen is that you who do not have a house is going to pay the mortgage of somebody who does have yes, a house absolutely. because you're a taxpayer uh, and they apparently have overstretched themselves, so you're going to help them out. Absolutely. So which on, is on, the on politics of the asylum. On this occasion, I don't think Keir Starmer is going to copy the the, the Lib Dems. I mean, he copied them on uh, on the energy price. Uh, freeze, yes. uh, and he copied them on the windfall tax, mm. but he's not going to copy them on uh, on mortgage uh, mortgage relief. No. And what about this energy business that he wants to set up in Scotland? I mean, he hasn't mentioned, for example, because nobody's been smart enough to ask him, who would he put in charge of this energy company? 
Jeremy yeah. Corbyn? I mean, you know, <laughs> who's going to be in charge of the People's so. Energy Company? He'd get, he'd, he'd, you know, he'll get some great and good. Yeah, uh, some bozo presumably, from presumably some, from the energy industry. Yeah, who's already um, who's and, already killed off most oh, of the people of, of this it's, country. It's a terrible idea. It really set is up, to set up a, a new company. I mean, it, all it all it is is for is to allow Keir Starmer to say in speeches that we will have a a publicly owned mm. energy company and people people think publicly owned oh that's marvelous yeah. we, we, that's what we want we want public well idiots ownership. think that and nobody uh, with a brain actually thinks that's a good <laughs> idea you know but it's it's nonsense and it, 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 i mean on its own it doesn't make any difference to, no. to anything no absolutely right and i think that's a pretty good summation of keir starmer <laughs> on his own he doesn't make any difference to anything it's as simple as that john rental brilliant as ever thank you very much indeed we will be back of course with prime minister's questions later on today and we'll also be talking to other political types about what is going on out there. Coming up next, though, we're going to be finding out what the latest insurance scam is. And it's basically people on mopeds driving into your car and then threatening to sue you so that they could get some money. It's extraordinary. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And today's big story is all about scams because there's plenty of scams going on out there loads of scams going on uh, in the car business people used to run into the back of you at roundabouts basically uh, and claim that they had been suffering from whiplash or they might make you run into the back of them all sorts of things would happen and then suddenly the insurance company's paying out money on your behalf because they can't be bothered fighting it the latest ridiculous situation is happening in a part of North London at the moment and will probably spread to other parts of the country where moped delivery drivers are crashing into cars and basically saying uh, that they've been injured and wanting money from your insurance company and that's what's going on. It's very easy to do because <clears throat> an awful lot of the insurance companies just say, do you know what, we can't be bothered investigating, it costs too much money, let's just pay them. If they want 5000 if they want 10000 let's just do it. Let's talk to Harry Miller, founder of Fair Cop, and find out what he knows about it. Harry, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I do identify as someone with the brain, if that's okay. You do, do you? Excellent. I do. That's why you're you're on here. I have a number of detractors, but um, I'm sticking to it. And don't you dare de-brain me. (laughs) Well, listen, it's very obvious that you've got a brain. Uh, It's very obvious that you speak common sense because you practice it. Uh, Your job involves you actually pointing out the idiocy of certain things that go on in this world, uh, which we might get to in a minute. But let's talk just before we do that about some of these scams, because I can't believe we've reached a point in this world where insurance companies would rather pay out money than actually investigate whether somebody is committing a crime effectively um, by falsely claiming injury or falsely claiming compensation for something that really didn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree. This is one of those things where uh, the police will try and shrug this off as none of their business, an insurance, an insurance problem, but it's not. If you think about it, Mike, it's, it's a form of robbery. Yeah, it is. What these, lun- this, these dishonest lunatics are doing is committing an act of violence by running their moped right. into a car with the intention of defrauding somebody. Now, it doesn't quite fit the, the, the general definition of robbery, but that's what it is. And the police have to start taking these incidents much more seriously because they have a, di- they have a direct effect on all of us because it drives up um, our insurance claims. It makes everybody a nervous driver because you see a moped and not only are you now thinking about how do I how do I negotiate this road without hurting anybody, right. you have to start taking defensive action as to how do I pass down this street without becoming yeah. the victim of the moped crime. 
So the police need to spend less time dealing with the nonsense and more time dealing with these very real world issues. I mean, it's dangerous for everybody. You drive a moped into the side of a car. It's dangerous for the, the moped rider. It's dangerous for the, for, for the car driver. It's dangerous for everybody. It's, so dangerous, yeah, it's dangerous yeah. for everybody that's around the vehicle. And the problem in London, I don't know what it's like where you are, uh, is that you're literally driving down a road now and you've got people on these electric scooters, you've got people on electric bikes, they might or might not be in a, in a bike lane, you've got the moped drivers who are, who are sort of weaving in and out of traffic, they come around you at the lights. I mean, it's a real, um, you know, kind of obstacle course now, just driving down the road. Yeah, I have very little sympathy, sympathy uh, with e-scooter e riders and all that kind of nonsense. The dangerous, I got knocked over in a park in London by somebody right. uh, riding a flipping e-scooter. E so when the police give chase in order to stop them, I'm definitely on the side of the police because these are a scourge, they are a menace, and these are precisely the kind of hooligans who the police should be hunting down and bringing to justice. Yeah. Safety of us all. Absolutely right. I mean, I, <clears throat> I had an incident a few years ago uh, in a McDonald's car park of all places where I'd take my son and three of his mates. I was taking them bowling or something and they wanted to stop and get some food. And I was backing my car out of the space that it was in and there was no car behind me in the space behind. Well, I didn't know because I didn't see it was there was a motorcycle parked there. Right. And as I backed up, I sort of thought that sounds a bit weird. I literally touched it at a, a sort of minimum speed of about half a mile an hour and I knocked it over. So I pulled it over, stopped, stopped the car. We got The guy came running out in high dudgeon, dressed in leathers. He's about a 45-year-old middle-aged fat bloke. Uh, started shouting at me. I said, look, mate, I'm sorry. Let's lift up your bike. No damage at all. There was nothing broken. It had literally just fallen over like that. It was a BMW. Put it back up. Next thing I know, uh, I've given him my insurance. They send me a bill to say that apparently I've caused £3,000 worth of damage to his bike. I said, sorry. And you said, are you joking? They said, oh, yeah, no, we've, 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 we've checked it out. Um, we, he sent us an invoice. And it literally was about three pages long with all these things that were apparently wrong. And I said, well, haven't you investigated this? And they went, it's not really worth doing. We're just going to pay him. And I went, yeah. well, how's that going to affect my, my, my insurance? And it didn't really affect it badly. It didn't cost me any money. But my insurance went up, obviously. And it, but there was no way that we caused £3,000 worth of damage. It's the, it's the principle. We're, we're living in a nation where scamming has become a, an alternative to work and it's no good and we need to crack down upon it. Yeah. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have paid it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have advised the insurance companies to pay it, but you know, insurance companies will take the easy way out and then the rest of us yeah. will pay. Yeah, because in the end, if, if somebody sues you, I suppose, or somebody makes a claim against you as a driver, it's kind of out of your hands, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is really, and they'll they'll take the they'll take the course of least resistance because insurance money insurance companies are in the business of making money. All of us will end up paying that little bit more. Yeah, that's why we should take responsibility and and go up against these people to stop them. Yeah, I mean, is there any point? And and I ask you as 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 somebody who's got a lot of experience in dealing with the public, if you like, is there any point if somebody does this to you to say to them, look, if you pursue this, I will report you to the police for deliberately crashing into me. I, I think I think we should do that. I think the police will dismiss it, though. That's the problem. The police will say, yeah, we've got far too much to do. There's too much on our hands. Give it back to the insurance companies. What's the problem? And it's this gap um, that people take advantage of. They know how the system works, and they will play the system to their own advantage. The problem is all of us end up paying because it costs. Right. 
Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the weirdness that's been going on this week uh, in schools. There's already now Gillian Keegan, the uh, Education Secretary, talking about doing an investigation into the school in Rye, uh, where we heard that piece of audio the other day of a teacher arguing with children who was saying, well, no, we don't agree with the fact that there's loads and loads of different genders. We actually think there's only two. Uh, we actually think that you're either a man or a woman. Uh, and the rest of it is a crock of nonsense. And she calls them all despicable and says that they're all very sad. And if their parents think like that, they're also very sad. I mean, this is reaching ridiculous epidemic proportions, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We, I dealt with a case um, just over a year ago now uh, where a 14-year-old autistic boy had said something similar. Um, the police raided his house... Uh, that evening, uh, he was reported to prevent the anti-terrorist uh, organisation. Yeah. And we had audio, uh, we, we got hold of audio of the meeting with the headmaster the following day, where the head teacher said, unless you unless you um, readjust your thinking, you, one, you'll not get a job, and two, you're likely to be glassed if you ever say that in a pub. The teacher said that. You are likely to be glassed wow. if you express that view in a pub when you're older. This is where we are at. And I lay the blame fairly and squarely at the College of Policing mm. because they have empowered this nonsense. These are the people that came after me for saying I was assigned a mammal at birth, but I identify as fish. Yeah. As far as they were concerned, me saying that was the equivalent. Well, it, it was the equivalent of preparing to stab Stephen Lawrence. Yeah. That's what they said. Mm. I said when I said but this isn't a crime. They said, no, but it will escalate to a crime. And I said, what crime? And they said the murder of Stephen Lawrence. And then genocide. This is where we're at. Look, Mike, you know, and I know, and the vast majority of the sane public know that you're born male or you're born female. There are a very small number of people who have a, a, a medical condition, which is called intersex, and that is it. You cannot identify out of being human. You cannot identify out of your sex. You cannot identify into being a cat any more than I can identify into becoming a slim bloke who looks like Brad Pitt. It's simply <laughs> not possible. Well, this is the thing. But it's worrying, though, that kids who are clearly making very sensible decisions. I actually said to somebody yesterday, I was quite encouraged by listening to the children uh, in Rye, uh, the school there, because it sounded like they actually had their heads screwed on and it sounded like they had actually had proper parenting uh, to tell them not to believe all of this rubbish and not to swallow all of this nonsense and to actually argue about it. And they argued about it in a particularly good way and their logic was sound, you know, their arguments were, were, were well formed and I thought they absolutely took that teacher to the cleaners. But what worries me is the teacher will still be working there and will still have those views. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank God that critical thinking remains alive and well around the family dinner table. Mm. Uh, of course, well, in England, it does anyway. In Scotland, not so much. Right. Uh, Ireland, potentially not so much, where the police are attempting to criminalise speech within the family home. Um, but in Britain, thankfully, in England, sorry, we don't yet have that. And so kids are able to learn from their parents. The family is the primary organisation within our country, not the school. Right. This is what happens, of course, in Maoist China. Uh, Ma Mao was so successful because he got the kids early to the point where the kids were accusing teachers who, who adopted any form of wrong think or wrong, wrong speak, mm. and the teachers were then humiliated and cast out. We cannot allow that to happen. We live in a free country, and freedom of speech and freedom of thought are fundamental in this country, and we must actively resist 
anything that tries to take that away from us. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Harry, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Harry Miller, founder of Fair Cop, of course, a man that speaks an awful lot of sense. I'll tell you what, there's plenty of people talking um, about things which are dangerous. There's plenty of people stoking hatred in this country. One of them's Anjum Chowdhury. You might remember him. We're going to find out what he's up to coming next right here on Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. A couple of messages coming in on the uh, scamming front. One from John, who says, Are people crashing into your car for a claim on a scooter? I've had two fraudulent claims by people causing accidents. Fortunately for me, I have a dash cam, but Churchill Insurance just paid out for one to a person that wasn't even driving the car. I'm still trying to fight this one. And another message here from uh, somebody else who says, My daughter's insurance company paid out a supposed claim and put up her premium without telling her. I created a fuss and threatened reporting them to ombudsman. They sent an inspector out to look at her car and, of course, there was no damage to it, proving it hadn't been in an accident. So, gladly, it got sorted out. You need to fight back. Well, this is a problem. At the moment, if somebody claims against you, quite often they can claim against you to your insurance company if you happen to have given them your insurance number or your insurance policy without you even being involved. And you can find out that your insurance company have actually paid them out money without bothering to investigate the case, because for them, it's easier to do that. It's cheaper for them to do that. And it's an absolute and utter scandal. So any more stories like that, we'd love to hear them. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on. Uh, you can text us, of course, uh, as well. And you can tweet us at Talk TV or at IROMG. Right now, though, uh, I'm delighted to say Jerome Starkey's here, Defence Editor of the Sun. Jerome, very good uh, morning to you. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, you, were, you were speaking on Talk TV yesterday about the Titanic sub we're still kind of monitoring it, people hoping against hope, really, that they'll find some trace of it. Stories this morning saying that there are some noises being heard, possibly by some of the uh, the vessels kind of trying to track it. But it's a very, very long sort of lost hope that anything will, will come of it, isn't it? Well, you're right. I mean, there's conflicting reports uh, this morning. The optimistic news was that apparently a Canadian P-3 Orion uh, sort of specialist submarine hunting plane, a, an aircraft that the Canadian military would use to look for enemy Russian submarines in its waters, mm. that it had dropped a sonar buoy, which is a listening device, into the right. water, and that that had heard what it thought was knocking, the sound of knocking. Yeah. Now, it's a standard practice for stricken submarines in distress for the crew to knock on the side of the mm. hull every half an hour to attract attention, right. to alert people that they're alive, at least one person alive, and to help them triangulate the position. But actually, there's conflicting reports suggesting that US military officials believe that they heard the sound of an implosion uh, which would suggest the very worst, which mm. was that the the Titan has been has been crushed, and that right. would mean that everyone on board is dead. And of course, the other thing that we have to bear in mind is that they have run out of time. Mm. The the ninety. 90- Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Six hours uh, of oxygen. It's rapidly becoming sort of 30 hours, isn't it, or something like that? Well, it was 96 hours from Sunday early, very early on Sunday morning when, when they first dived. And for me, one of the most extraordinary elements of this story as well is that there is, uh, we know that Oceangate, the company that owns the Titan sub, mm. uh, obviously they lost contact on Sunday morning, about an hour after the dive. On Monday morning, uh, they contacted a company in Guernsey, which has uh, remotely operated vehicles, remote sort of tethered submarines, which can go down on very long cables, right. uh, which which their owners believe could have... Uh, conducted a rescue operation. They have these are uh, uh, sort of four-ton devices, slightly smaller than a shipping container, right. with mechanical claws, uh, which they think may have been able to to rescue. So the they submarine. could have literally dragged it back up. Well, they, yeah. I mean, it depends what they found, but there's some suggestion that perhaps the, the submarine had got tangled in the wreckage. Maybe mm. uh, its engine had failed. Uh, it, it, the Titan is attached to ballast, which keeps it below the surface, keeps right. it deep, and, and they might have been able to somehow remove the ballast. I mean, it would have been, even if they could have got those subs to the location in time, it would still have been a very difficult, mm. complex operation and a slim chance of success. But nonetheless, what that would have required is an airlift capability to get the uh, these Guernsey uh, submarines, which are known as... They'd uh, have to be flown over. Flown over to yeah. Canada and then put on board a boat and sailed out to, to yeah. 370 miles uh, to the site. I mean, it seems remarkable to me that these trips have been made with such regularity because I think many of us wouldn't have known quite how many times people had been down to look at the, the wreckage of the Titanic, you know. Because when I first heard the story, I think on, on Monday morning, you kind of thought, well, that seems like an incredibly kind of risky thing to do. But yeah, I suppose if you were doing it, you'd go, well, loads of people have done it. It's not that risky. But looking at the actual craft, it doesn't look like something you would want to spend a lot of time in at the bottom of the sea. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, indeed, one of our own Sun reporters uh, had made that Yeah, I heard Martin Phillips. I know Martin, actually, because I used to work with him years ago. And I heard him last night on um, First Edition telling his story to Penny Smith. And what a story. Yeah, Incredible. Yeah. I mean, those were the days, um, you were obviously too young to remember, when when you could win a trip to see the Titanic wreckage on the Sun. I mean, incredible, really. Yeah, well, incredible. And and incredible that that it's still happening. But, of course... You know, different submarines, different technologies, and, and also emerging now these these alarming reports that Ocean Gate, the company behind the Titan voyage, um, had been in legal disputes mm. over its own safety protocols and its refusal to get the Titan sub sort of classified uh, to, to survive at the depths which it states yes. that it can survive at. And I guess the commercial aspects of some of these operations are, you know, they're, they're making a big margin, aren't they, on, on the numbers of people they're taking down. And Martin, in fact, talking last night, was saying that when he was there years and years ago, all, everything was being run by, by Russian organisations and they had, a, uh, I think, three submersibles which they were sending down. One of them got damaged in the same way as this one might have done. Uh, last time around, and they just basically covered up the damage with duct tape and went down anyway. And you're kind of going, sorry, you know. I just think it's an incredibly, I don't want to say foolhardy, but it just seems to me <coughs> to be an incredibly dangerous thing to do, particularly if you haven't got any kind of way of sending a distress signal, which they don't seem to have. 
and if you have no way of fixing a problem if, if there is one. Certainly, and what appears to be perhaps most surprising about this story is that there doesn't appear to have been a contingency plan in place. And having said that, um, I understand this morning the message coming from the American agencies which are running uh, the rescue is that they believe they have all the capabilities mm. they need. Of course, the real concern is that this may turn from what's classified as a rescue operation to a recovery yeah. or, or a salvage operation yeah. because because the prospects of, of getting these uh, guys back alive is just increasingly slim. And I have to say one of the things that haunts me is just imagining if they did, if they are stuck there alive, you know, the conversations that must be happening mm. in that metal tube, the, the conversations between a father and his 19-year-old yeah. son as they contemplate running out of oxygen, it, yeah. it, it doesn't really bear. It really doesn't. And, and I mean, there's, a, I suppose, a chance as well that they'll never be found, isn't there? There is a chance. Um, I mean, clearly how difficult it is to operate there. But what we understand is that this company based in Guernsey called Magellan, who have these... Um, Argus XL remotely operated vehicles that, that are they are classified to go down to six kilometres. I understand that even if their their vehicles aren't taken out to uh, the site, they may be sending some of their experts to try and assist because this time last year they produced they released these incredible three dimensional images mm. of the wreckage. So mm. so the the teams from that company have incredibly detailed knowledge of the wreck because they used these drones right. to, to photograph every inch of it. I mean, in, in such detail that you could read serial numbers on certain parts. Wow. Um, so, so they know the wreck site very, very well. They'd probably be able to detect if something uh, wasn't right. But of course, the other factor we have to consider is the sea conditions. Yeah. And we know that um, this was a weather window that they dived in. And that, mm. if that window closes, then of course, it'll make recovery or rescue even harder. And you spoke yesterday as well about the kind of the, 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 the kit, if you like, inside the, the, the actual um, submersible, the, 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 the way that it's kind of powered, if you like, by very mundane pieces of equipment, you know, like, for example, a PlayStation sort of, um, you know, remote. If you like. Yeah, I mean, it, resemb- it resembles a PlayStation. I think it is a slightly different piece of equipment. But, but ultimately, you know, it's a very simple construction in the sense that, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a metal tube uh, with, a, with a battery, with an mm. engine and mechanisms for controlling its buoyancy in its direction. But it, it's kept simple because the more, the more that's on board, the more that can potentially break uh, or, or rupture or mm. crush under those incredibly difficult conditions. Mm. I mean, the pressure at 3,000... 800 metres is immense. It's unimaginable, yeah, absolutely right. Jerome, one of the other things that you spend a lot of time doing is covering the war in Ukraine. Um, when are you going back there again? Uh, well, it, you know, trips depend on on events. Uh, obviously monitoring things very, very closely. I got mm. back a couple of weeks ago and had a fairly intense visit. We were in um, Bakhmut. We found ourselves in trenches right. that had been Russian a few days before we got there and the Ukrainians had cleared them. Uh, we joined some, some soldiers on a, a shoot and scoop mortar mission on, on near Zaporizhia, which is one of the areas where they've now launched uh, the counteroffensive. Uh, and of course, we're watching that counteroffensive uh, yeah. very, very closely. Yeah. Well, we wish you well, Jerome. Thanks for coming in. Jerome Starkey, Defence Editor at The Sun there with his uh, latest news on uh, what's going on in the North Atlantic there, uh, where they're trying uh, against all hope, really, to try and locate this particular uh, missing submarine before it runs out of air, which is going to happen, they think, in around about 24 hours from now. Um, it's a dreadful situation. Uh, we'll keep you updated, of course, as and when we can, right here on Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
on your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got much to do. Uh, we've got plenty of time to do it as well, basically. We've got two hours to go before Ian Collins takes over uh, with his show from one o'clock. Rupert Lowe joins us, former MEP, and we're going to talk to him about the state of our nation, not least the migration nation uh, that we're having to deal with. Because let me tell you this, an incredible story that we unearthed yesterday, which we didn't really have time to explore properly, is that there have been an amazing number of payouts to illegal migrants in this country who have supposedly been held in prison uh, either unlawfully or for too long or who haven't even been deported on time and they've all claimed money in compensation from the taxpayer, from this government. £42.2 million worth, would you believe, uh, in the last several years. All foreign nationals who were locked up by the Home Office and who sued and got compensation for illegal detention, with many successfully claiming that the government was too slow uh, to kick them out of the country. Absolutely unbelievable stuff. We're finding out uh, exactly what Rupert Lowe makes of all that. Uh, back in 2021-22, there was £12.7 million awarded in 572 cases. It will come as no surprise to you, of course, uh, that since... 2017, the number of cases that have been claimed for has practically tripled. So we can thank the human rights lawyers, the lefty lawyers, uh, the people who try and rinse the taxpayer because illegal migration is a massive money spinner, not just for the people traffickers, but also uh, for the charities, also for uh, the people who help them to stay here, the lefty lawyers, um, for people who help to house them here, the hotels that keep putting them up, the people who put them in the hotels, the circos of this world. It is a massive business and that's why it is so difficult to stop because at the end of the day, Money talks and everything else walks, if you get my meaning. Also coming up a little bit later on, we'll be taking more of your calls, but also we'll be talking to Jim Phelan, uh, who is a master a saturation diver, and he'll be able to tell us what he makes of the latest situation uh, with the missing submarine. Lots of you have got in touch as well about the business of the scams uh, going on currently uh, involving cars, mopeds, bicycles, etc. Uh, here's one from Anthony. He says, Hi, Mike. I was reversed into by a van trying to reverse out of the wrong petrol pump. I called the police, confirmed the garage had CCTV of it, told the insurance company this with 12 pages of photographs, diagrams, and even a satellite photograph showing he had reversed out of a one-way system. He supplied nothing. I heard nothing until I was due to renew my policy and my insurance company said they had settled the case and my insurance was to go up 35%. Needless to say, I dumped them. Well, exactly right. This is the problem. There's all sorts of scams going on. Um, here's one from Ash from Haywood. He says, Mike, the City of London Police has an insurance fraud unit. Also, the National Crime Agency, uh, there's a reporting desk telephone number if you want to report somebody who's scamming you. Uh, forward the text to 7726, then ignore it and get on with your life. Well, it doesn't always quite work out like that because if you have ever been scammed by some of these people, the trouble is the insurance company will simply pay out the money without even even asking you what happened because it's easier for them to do than it is to actually employ somebody to investigate whether it's true extraordinary state of affairs let's talk to Rupert Lowe because we've got plenty of stories to talk to him about this morning not least this ludicrous amount of money which has been made uh, by lefty lawyers and paid off to certain individuals including in one case a man who was a criminal a well-known criminal uh, I think from Lithuania who won £10,000 after he was held in a detention centre for 19 days uh, after being detained while sleeping on the streets he successfully fought off an attempt to deport him and then sued for being put in detention Another one was a Somali career criminal called Abdul Rahman Mohammed, uh, who was 39 years old. He was awarded almost £80,000 after the Home Office admitted he was detained 
illegally. I mean, what is going on? Rupert, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. I mean, just when you thought that, uh, you know, the migrant crisis was, was reaching sort of limit up top peak moments, you find out we've given over another 42 million quid, um, probably mostly to lawyers, fighting on behalf of people who have already been deported. Well, I guess even if you discount for the fact that um, people like the Daily Mail need to sell newspapers, it's, it's pretty shocking stuff. And not only, uh, you know, as usual, the taxpayer taking it, um, you know, on the chin, which yeah. is terrible. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just an affront to everything that we stand for. The British, the might of the British state should be able to stop the boats. It should be able to stop this illegal immigration. Uh, after all, we pay a lot for uh, the army, the navy, the police, all, all, of, the, all of the sort of uh, infrastructure that you need in a modern state. But the might of our state doesn't have the will to stop them, Mike. So... In the same way they didn't have the will to deliver Brexit, despite the fact that was the, the wish of the British people, uh, they, they haven't got the will to stop this. And now the taxpayer is being further uh, embarrassed and, and damaged by the fact that we've got, a, uh, as you say, a bunch of human rights lawyers uh, ch chasing, chasing a penny. Yeah. And as I've always said, the, the, the legal profession, uh, you know, various times throughout history, it gets half a cut above itself. Uh, and I think we've got not only uh, now a government that is uh, dysfunctional, we have a legal system which basically is designed to enrich lawyers mm. uh, without need. And you're quite right about the, uh, the insurance companies just would rather settle. Uh, and we get a culture of basically people not caring about what is right and mm. wrong, easier to write a check. So I, 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 am, I am absolutely uh, incensed by this. And I, I think most decent uh, tax-paying citizens would agree. So we've got to stop the, 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 the source of it, which is obviously the illegal immigration. And then we need to do something to ensure that, like the Australians, we have a zero-tolerance policy. Uh, and we need to bring these uh, ambulance-chasing lawyers to heel because really that, is, that is also wrong. Well, surely as well, what we must do is say to them that they cannot operate like this on a sort of no-win, no-fee basis because what you can say, probably without uh, a fear or favour of being contradicted, is that most of this money uh, probably goes to the lawyers because if they are on a no-win, no-fee basis, they'll probably take at least a third, possibly a half of whatever the award is. So Mr um, Abdul Rahman Mohammed, who got 80,000 quid, probably had to give 40,000 of it to his lawyer. I would think at least. I, I don't know the numbers, but I I've, I have fought some legal cases on a no-fall, no-fee basis. And if, if successful, the payment to the lawyer is quite substantial. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it is ludicrous, isn't it, that this can go on in this day and age. It seems to me that the justice system in this country is rigged against the taxpayer because anybody who takes the justice system on seems to win money. But if you and I tried it, we'd get absolutely hammered and we'd end up paying the costs of everybody else. Well, I, I did see a glimmer of hope, Mike. There was one judge who said we need to have much uh, more severe penalties for those people who come to the country illegally. Uh, so there was a, 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 a shimmer of light there. But I think on the whole, our legal system is incredibly liberal. And, you know, it doesn't really, I think, respect the, 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 the taxpayer who is basically funding a lot of this, this, this charade. Yeah. So, there's, there's no question that the, um, the, the, the legal system sort of underpins whatever the human rights lawyers say. They seem to think they've got some kind of, you know, 
God-given right to, to, to be the, uh, the, the arbiter of all things which are good and that we must save all these people from themselves. But the one case you're talking about is an Egyptian fisherman, and this is why you're right to say that there's a bit of a, a, a chink of light, perhaps. Um, Hamuda Chitui, his name is, he apparently has said that if he knew he was going to be arrested and locked up, he wouldn't have come. Well, maybe he can pass that on to all his mates from Egypt and maybe they won't come. Mike, we've always said the Australians have shown us the way. Yeah. If we have the will, there is a way, but we don't have the will, sadly. And I think it's time, you know, people have to be more vocal. They have to show their disapproval in the ballot box. And if they want real change, they've got to vote for the Reform Party because they're not going to get it from the mainstream Westminster or the civil service that, that are now completely dysfunctional. Yeah, well, they totally are, because what we found out yesterday from the Sun's poll uh, is that they don't want net zero in this country either, but every single political party apart from reform is pushing for net zero, even though they don't understand what it means. Well, I, I think there's a lot of nonsense that Middle England doesn't approve of, but most people are so busy uh, working hard to pay these extortionate mm. taxes uh, to fund this increasingly dysfunctional state that they don't have time to really make, make themselves heard. Uh, so hopefully they will. They will do that when it comes to the ballot. Well, you would like to think so. Um, going back to uh, the immigration problem that we've got, the other big story that happened yesterday uh, was that the National Crime Agency arrested three suspected members of an Albanian people smuggling gang um, who apparently um, had been making crossings uh, organised with as many as 46 migrants per boat, with many people paying somewhere between 3,000 and 7,500 a time. Now, I, I can't do that maths in my head, but that's an awful lot of money for one boat and one crossing, isn't it? It's, it's huge. And, and it's, it's, it's like a lot of these things. It grows into a massive business. Mm. And as, as we know, people coming you know, from Albania are basically just, they're not, they are not coming from a, a war-torn part of the world. They're coming from a, a country that's got a perfectly stable economy and there's absolutely no reason for them not to be applying to come here legally. Mm. I'm always in favour of legal targeted immigration in the same way that the Australians do. I'm, I'm very happy for people to come here if they're going to make a, a contribution to our economy. But I, what, I, what I disapprove of is this flood of people coming over who are then rewarded with comfortable hotel rooms, uh, far, far too much spending money, uh, and then the right to sue us if we happen to hold them too tight by the wrists or, 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 or some other sort of um, nonsensical yes. rubbish. And, but, I've got, and I've got some more bad news for you, I'm afraid, uh, Rupert. They're not coming here to pick strawberries. Uh, no. Uh, I mean, there are actually, again, uh, this is one of my favourite topics, Mike, there are actually a lot of people who want to pick strawberries and, and pick fruit and do things here. But there are actually tax breaks for farmers to, to bring in foreigners. Yeah. Uh, it's all done for, you know, in the food and lodging and the way in which they deal with providing them with, with, with caravan accommodation and stuff on site. Uh, and they get tax breaks for that. So, again, any sensible government would look into this in depth and, and would ensure that there is effectively a reason to employ local people who are perfectly capable of working. And a lot of my West Midlands constituents, when I was an MEP, they were desperate to work, but they couldn't find the jobs because uh, the farmers got bigger tax breaks mm. for uh, employing foreigners and putting them in their own tied accommodation. Yes. Well, I've heard stories uh, even before Ukraine uh, became a war zone that a lot of people were brought in from Ukraine every summer by the thousands to fruit pick. 
um, and then they would be housed, as you say, in, in sort of locally apportioned um, accommodation, and then they'd be sent home again. Exactly. Well, they were they were almost sort of, you know, what I call workhouse labour. Yeah. Um, and we, we were giving tax breaks to encourage that to happen. I mean, how extraordinary. It really is incredible. You do wonder sometimes who on earth in government is making these kinds of decisions. You know, the same people, presumably, who keep telling us, oh, we need immigration. Uh, we better import another 1.2 million people to come in legally, never mind the ones coming in on the boats, uh, because we don't know whether they stay here afterwards or not. I mean, the guy in Nottingham, we found out, had come here as a student originally um, and had hung around after his student visa had expired. And now look what he's done. Well, the trouble is, I think most people now in, in government, particularly the MPs, are more interested in preening themselves in front of the cameras in Parliament uh, than they are actually in, in diving deeply into what's wrong and changing it. Because with an 80-seat majority, the Tories could have changed an awful lot over the past four years. Yeah. But they've singularly failed to do that. So, so uh, the first thing I would do, Mike, is rip the cameras out of, uh, out of Parliament uh, and make them go and actually do what they were elected to do. Yes, which is actually to run the country in a relatively sensible manner. Doesn't exactly. Seem, doesn't seem like we're asking that much, does it? Well, as, as they say, fish always rots from the head, and I think we're <laughs> we're well on the way to rotting. <laughs> yeah, I think the head's disappeared, to be honest. Somebody cut it off with a scimitar. But there we are. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Rupert Lowe there, former MEP, as outraged as I am by these bloody lawyers who seem to get rich at every possible moment. Whenever there's a migrant... They don't see anything other than a big pound sign. We can keep them here. We can get compensation for them. Oh, did you get arrested? Oh, did they put your hands tied behind your back? Oh, we can get you some money for that. What's wrong with these people? They should be stopped immediately. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've had quite a show so far this morning. We've been talking a lot about the submersible uh, and how doomed uh, it may well be because it's going to run out of air pretty soon. And at the moment, nobody really has a clue about where to even look for it, never mind where to find it. We'll keep you updated, of course, as much as we possibly can uh, as, this, as the show uh, goes on. Later on in this hour, uh, we're going to be talking about a great many things with Alex Salmon. We've got Prime Minister's questions coming up as well. Peter Cardwell uh, will be bringing us the best of that as it gets underway right now. You've got Keir Starmer uh, versus Rishi Sunak uh, in the chamber, uh, having a bit of a go at each other, all about the economy, all about the interest rate problems, all about homeowners and what they're supposed to do if they cannot any longer afford to make that monthly payment. But of course, as I've been saying for a very long time, uh, what the government should very, very much not be doing uh, is in any way sort of uh, subsidising people's mortgage payments, because as much as it may be a very difficult pill to swallow, unfortunately, if you buy into a housing situation and the mortgages go up to the point where you can't afford to pay them anymore, then you have to sell the house. It's that simple. Annabel Denham is here as well, Deputy Comment Editor at The Telegraph. Let's kick things off uh, with her. She's also got a thing or two to say, no doubt, about the wokists in our schools as well. Annabel, a very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon, Mike. So, um, it's not a very happy place to be if you've got a mortgage, particularly if you've got a, um, a variable rate mortgage or a fixed rate mortgage, which is coming up for renewal. Uh, the belief is there's an awful lot of people just in this little window of a month or two weeks uh, are going to be absolutely hammered. I've been speaking to people who think their mortgages are going to go up by sort of somewhere between three and six hundred pounds a month. Yes, there are a lot of people who are going to feel, I'm afraid, an immense amount of pain as interest rates continue to rise, uh, mortgage payments continue to rise, and it really looks as though inflation is embedded now. It simply is not coming down for a long time. We didn't seem to think it was going to be a problem. Then we thought it was going to be transitory. But no, here we have extremely sticky inflation. And when you look at core inflation, it's not even sticky, Mike. It's actually going up. It mm. increased in May from 68 to 7.1%. You're absolutely right that there are going to be people up and down the country who are really going to suffer. And many of those people are already suffering because let's not forget we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis. Um, now, the government introduced the energy price guarantee to try and cushion some of the impact of uh, soaring energy bills. And it's now under pressure to do the same, to introduce some kind of mortgage bailout. But this would be economically illiterate. It would be an, an enormous act of economic self-harm for a it would be ruinously expensive. Look at the millions of homes up and down the country which have mortgages on them. If we are really looking at some kind of you know, increase to perhaps 6%, there's simply no way that the government can, can fund that. So it really ought to be off the table and certainly should uh, you know, never um, return. It, it feels as though there's this, this, this time bomb uh, that has been, the fuse of which has been lit and at some point it's going to explode, particularly I imagine under... Um, the middle classes. The other problem with this, of course, as we had with the energy price guarantee, and economists warned of this at the time, is that it doesn't deter consumption. So when we introduced the energy price guarantee, there was no incentive for people to uh, reduce the amount of energy mm. that they use. And if we introduce some kind of mortgage bailout, then it's not going to disincentivize people from taking out mortgages that are simply going to be beyond what they can afford should interest rates continue to rise uh, you know, higher. And I I think that there's also a, a moral case to be made against some kind of mortgage bailout. What we saw during the coronavirus pandemic was the government stepping in to wrap its arms around us and protect and shield us from any real uh, hardships. So we had the furlough, which cost about £70 billion. We had the government issuing a huge number of, of loans. And I think that that normalised the idea that when you run into some kind of difficulty, the government is going to bail you out. And, you know, I, we simply need to wean people off this idea. And introducing some kind of mortgage bailout it is not going to do that. Now, what I think is going to be very interesting is what happens in the coming days and weeks with the Labour Party, because the Liberal Democrats have already called for this, but that's all very well when you're not going to be the party that goes into power. What is Labour going to do? Is it going to start to tighten the screws on the Conservatives? Is it going to suggest that were it in power, it would introduce some kind of mortgage bailout? Because if it does that, then it you know, this idea that the Tories have insisted is off the table could find its way back mm. on it. And that that's very troubling indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the thing about giving money for people to help to pay their um, electricity bills and their gas bills and their oil bills and all of that was a kind of a universal thing. Some people were critical that it shouldn't have been given to everyone. And some people didn't actually need it and all of that. But mortgages are a very different kettle of fish, aren't they? Because not everybody has a mortgage. Not everybody owns a house. And you'd effectively be asking people who are taxpayers who don't own a house to pay the mortgages of people who do. 
that's absolutely right. You're, you're expecting renters ultimately to subsidise homeowners who may be more wealthy than they are, which is frankly immoral. It's extremely problematic. Yeah. That's not for rents are going up enormously because what the government is doing in addition of course to failing to build homes to address supply uh, and therefore uh, bring down the cost of actually buying a house and perhaps stop people from really really stretching themselves the government is also hammering landlords so we've seen this exodus of landlords uh, from the market that means there are fewer properties available and that means that the costs are going up it's layering more and more uh, regulations on landlords i think they've got to adhere uh, to about 150 now but mm. now you know we've got all of these new energy regs that they're going to have to comply with and there are a lot of people who are perhaps looking at uh, getting a buy to let property who aren't going to bother there are a lot of landlords who are thinking it simply isn't worth the effort and they are going to put their properties on the market and there is no guarantee that the person who buys them is going to be renting them out themselves so right. the, this, you know renters are being absolutely hammered uh, at the moment and it, you know it, it doesn't seem fair at all like you say mike to prioritize homeowners over those individuals no exactly right and of course there's not really much that they can do i mean one of the things that rishi sunak said he wanted to do one of his five uh, point plans uh, was to reduce inflation but clearly, as people said to him, he said it wasn't our fault the inflation went up. Well, then it won't be your fault if it comes down either, presumably. No, his five promises at the start of the year were more like forecasts. He could well have suggested that he was going to ensure the sun shone uh, in June. And of course, the irony now is that he's really struggling to deliver on them. So uh, the NHS backlog just seems to be getting longer and longer, around seven and a half million people now waiting for treatment. We had, in addition to the inflation data out today, we've had the GDP data. And we know that uh, the debt to GDP ratio has gone uh, over a hundred. Uh, so it doesn't look like Rishi's going to be bringing down the national debt as he promised. Of course, we've got the inflation rate, which uh, is either remaining sticky or if you look at that core in, uh, core inflation, is actually going up. He's promised that the economy will be growing. Well, the trouble is that if the Bank of England perhaps overcorrects, but raises interest rates too much, then it might tip the UK into recession. So mm. he's going to struggle to deliver on that. And of course, the number of boats that are crossing the channel now a few weeks ago you had Rishi and Dover saying that the numbers have come down but really making himself a hostage to fortune it was quite clear that that was a consequence of the fact that we'd had a uh, pretty miserable weather during the spring and yeah during the spring Bring, uh, pretty rough seas and as soon as it became more cle clement we saw a massive increase in the mm. number of boats crossing the channel uh, but no to your point uh, on inflation i think we now know that it is a monetary problem so it's that core price inflation it's it's the, the domestic factors that you know is really causing a, a massive uh, issue and that is a consequence of this massive increase that we saw in the broad supply of money during the coronavirus pandemic and there were some warnings from economists at the time that the government needed needed to tighten monetary policy, but instead it remained very loose for far too long. It wasn't until December 2021 that they started to raise uh, interest rates. And we've had a number of uh, raises in the intervening period. We've, they're going, the Monetary Policy Committee is going to be meeting tomorrow. There's an ex expectation that there will be uh, a 0.25 uh, percentage point increase, if not more, possibly a half percentage point uh, increase. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's going to be enough 
to bring it down. But this is a real headache uh, for the prime minister. People are going to be feeling it in, in, you know, in their pockets. It's eroding their pay packets. People are not going to be feeling uh, as though they are getting wealthier. Um, and it's hard to think that there's anything but more pain to come. Yeah. And it's also a sense that it's out of his hands. You know, Rishi Sunak does not appear to be in control of the economy. And no matter whether that's true or not, that's the perception. And that's never good for any prime minister, is it? No, that's right. Now, I'm not wholly comfortable with this idea that the government should be trying to control the economy uh, to begin with. But certainly that's the impression that the very uh, technocratic managerial Rishi Sunak has been trying to give. And yet here we have a, a public sector that is just getting bigger and bigger. Public sector borrowing in May alone was £20 billion. We've never had more people working uh, in the NHS and yet uh, productivity uh, in the NHS has gone backwards. Indeed, in the public sector productivity has gone backwards. I think it's about 5.7% lower than it was before the pandemic compared with about 1.3% uh, in the private sector. So the public sector, it seems to me, is completely out of control. There doesn't seem to be any appetite for reining it in. And on the current trajectory, you know, that jet debt GDP ratio is going to increase enormously. Inflation, as you say, is now run away. It, it, it just seems to be ticking up or remaining very, very sticky and little that the government seems to be able to do about that. Economic growth, no real appetite for supply side uh, reform, which of course in and of itself would actually help with uh, inflation. If we made it easier for businesses to build, say, factories, if we made it easier for businesses to bring new products to market, then perhaps that could ease some of the inflationary pressures. As I say, now National debt is going up, uh, no appetite for supply side reform. You know, everything is moving in the wrong direction. And here we have the grown ups in charge coming in uh, and promising, you know, more August style of ma management after the Liz Trust debacle. And things are simply getting worse. And the thing that strikes me and has struck me this week with particular interest going towards the Tata Steel Company and, and Jaguar Land Rover is that they only seem to be interested in helping multinational companies, this government. You know, they're not interested in helping, you know, the, the, sort of the small shop owner, the small business owner, you know, the heart and soul of, of the economy of this country. Ordinary people with small businesses and, and medium-sized businesses that employ quite a few people and pay quite a lot of tax. They're getting no breaks at all. But if you Tata Steel, uh, you might get 300 million quid uh, to help make your factory a bit more green. Yes, that's right. I think the government has been too tempted to subsidise um, bigger businesses, perhaps in order to attract them to uh, you know, create jobs or set up uh, factories and offices here. And you're right that successive governments have, have talked a very good talk on entrepreneurship, on supporting small businesses. But at the same time, we've had this regulatory ratchet. So look at something like labour market regulation, Mike, and how you know it's regulating for a minimum wage, holiday pay, sick pay. Uh, a high level of uh, regulation really coming into the gig economy. It's very difficult for people to be self-employed, to be contractors. Uh, we had the introduction of IR35 that made it more difficult to be a consultant or a contractor. You know, all of these things that the government does is sort of knee-jerk short-term policy making, perhaps to adva advantage a, a small uh, vested interest group, a pressure group, but often at the expense of many more people uh, than it actually benefits. And it, it's introduced 
introducing things like the Edinburgh reforms, and that's very positive. But at the same time, you know, look at all of the controversy around the retained EU law bill and the fact that the government has significantly scaled back its ambitions there. We have, you know, increasingly regulated economy that is limiting the room for manoeuvre of ordinary men, women and businesses. And this cost has to be borne somewhere. Initially, it will be felt by the mm. business but eventually they will pass it on to workers in the form of lower wages or onto their customers in the form of higher prices. And it, it surprises me that the unintended consequences of all of this never really seems to be thought through. And, you know, a final point on that, of course, is our high streets. You talked about, uh, you know, local shops and the fact that they are being you know, impacted by some of the decisions that the government is making. And, it, you know, there's no real appetite, I don't think, to address uh, the fact that we've got very high business rates, the fact that local councils seem to be stepping in and making it more and more difficult for people to say to come in and park in local towns in order that they can support local businesses and so you know all of these problems some of which may be politically difficult to correct but there doesn't seem to be any will to do so regardless no there really doesn't stay with us annabelle if you would i want to talk about lockdown uh, this morning the telegraph uh, your paper's got a big piece uh, quoting the chief medical officer former chief medical officer sally davis saying that lockdown damaged an entire generation and uh, we'll come back to that with annabelle denham from the telegraph coming next across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.